It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Good to have you aboard as we're with you for the next 60 minutes. And today is a very special program because we are going to officially begin our journey, our preview, all the way towards the 2022 NFL Draft. We'll preview two schools today and each and every day moving forward. We'll focus and turn our attention to other programs. A reminder, multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. You can find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. You can also find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Fiegels with you here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And we are going to start right off the top with one of our guests. And the first school that we're going to put under the magnifying glass is Tulsa. And to help us break down the Tulsa football prospects entering the 2022 NFL Draft, we're now joined by Rick Corey, Tulsa football sideline reporter for the Blitz 1170. Rick, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Oh, it's not bad. It's a little chilly here. And just one slight correction, not a big deal. I'm the color analyst. I have been for 34 years. But, hey. I have spent time on the sidelines there before as well. It's all it's all good here. You know, we're excited because for a couple of years in a row, we've had more than one NFL prospect, which this school's not always had. And some of these guys have obviously had great careers. One of them, you know, uh, spent some time in your city, and a couple have spent some time near your city, Gary Ostrowski in Buffalo, David Alexander, who, uh, you know, spent some time actually in Philadelphia, not right at you guys. But we've had some people uh, come through and have some success. Well, apologies for the label. We want to be correct and on point. So we're going to correct it, and we're going to say Rick Corey, the color analyst for Tulsa football, mm-hmm. so we could start off on the right foot. And probably if there's any prospect to begin with, I would say it would be on the offensive line, and that, of course, Rick, is Tyler Smith, who has certainly made a name for himself up front at left tackle. Specifically, he's been a consistent starter, not given up many sacks, and has been in the lineup with a volume of snaps that really jump off the page. 909 snaps this past season. What has stood out to you the most specifically about his consistency over the last two years? Really, the thing that jumps out about Tyler first about anything is his just natural ability. You know, Chris Paul on the other side is a guy who had a very impressive NFL combine as well. He's the more technical of the two guys, but Tyler just jumps off the, the page because of his athletic ability. He can make mistakes um, just with his footwork or right off the line or punching a guy like you're supposed to, and he can make up for it. Now, that's in college. Different monster in the NFL if you're trying to do that to Von Miller and the guys who are trying to get around your, you know, Miles Garrett. But he has got the ability to do that, and that's what has always been his big selling point is Tyler came in ready to play. Now, can you hone him? to be technically oriented every snap. But past that, he has the ability to do that. I mean, his you know, his numbers off the combine were good. He wasn't quite as fast as Chris when it came to the 40, but he can get that job done, and he's got long, long arms. A lot of people have said to us, and again, we're talking about people outside the building. I'm not going to give up any secrets from inside the building, <laughs> Rick. But, but they're looking at Smith as probably more of a high second rounder than a first rounder. 
What is the scuttlebutt that you're hearing out there at Tulsa in terms of where his value might lie and specifically what might separate him from being a first-rounder and a second-rounder? Well, I think if anything separates him, it's going to be that technique issue because he did have some, even this year. You know, he, he wasn't he, – that initial step was wrong. He didn't slide the left foot like he's supposed to. His punch, which is a really good one, wasn't quite there uh, early on. So I think it would be that. If anything, it would be the technical aspect. Yes, he's talented enough. Does he have the physical gifts and tools? Yes, he has. But guys have had those tools before and not paid enough attention to the right things and not made it. Now, Tyler's not that guy. He's a smart kid, and he's a humble kid. So he will work on it, and especially when there are zeros on your paycheck. But that's the only thing I think would keep it from being, you know, that happening. And I think probably here we all believe he's probably a second-rounder, but a guy with, with tremendous upside. Uh, hi, Rick. Uh, Jeff Fiegel's here. So you mentioned Dave Alexander. Well, Dave Alexander and I are probably the closest friends. We're absolutely best buddies, um, and I ended up playing with him back when I was in Philadelphia. So it's good to hear you say his name. I know he's in the Tulsa area coaching football, things like that. So that's all a good thing. Um, so a little bit on Tyler Smith. I know that, you know, when you get to the NFL, these scouts and coaches a lot of times will kind of dictate where they want you to play. Give me a little bit of insight about Tyler Smith, maybe moving inside playing uh, guard or even some right tackle. Has there been experience at that? Or do you think that's something that he'll stay at that left tackle position? Well, I think I think tackle is probably his best position, be it left or right. I think mean, he'd be fine at the right side as well. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it might be best to start him at the right side until he gets that technique down because nobody wants to have your left tackle letting anybody come free. Not that Tyler would ever do that on purpose, but I don't see him as much as a guard. I think Chris Paul, the other tackle, who has been a right tackle his entire career, I can see Chris moving there and being really successful at that. But I can also see him staying at tackle because the guy ran a four eight nine forty at three hundred and thirty pounds. So, you know, he had he had tied for the second fastest time in the forty of offensive linemen. So I think Tyler will end up staying at tackle. Um, and I, I can see him working at the right too, just to mm-hmm. kind of get a little bit more of that technique kind of honed, if you will. And by the way, Jeff, David is talking endlessly about you. <laughs> you know, David spent his career, of course, in Philadelphia in his one year with the Jets. David was also the head coach of the arena football team here. I was their play-by-play guy. David had been coaching high school, and I broadcast one of the schools here as well. And we've crossed paths a thousand times. I mean, I've been on the road with David for many, many years. And he was, gosh, I was, my second year at TU was his senior season. So we've known each other a long time, and sure. he says great things about you. Well, that, I appreciate it. They're all true, by the way, Rick, so <laughs> just so you know that. And I'm sure that Paul and, and Lance can attest to that. You know, just such a great guy I am, you know. 100%. It's, it's the check in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rick. We'll be talking to you later. <laughs> yeah, Rick, we'd like to spend the rest of the show talking about Jeff's accolades, but then we'd never get to the rest of the Tulsa prospects. But I have a, another quick follow-up with respect to Tyler Smith, Rick, because you've been focusing a lot on the technique and – The one thing that I've picked up on, it seems as if he was called for holds more often than not throughout the course of his career. How much is that perhaps a concern when you talk about the technique, or is it more of just the basic X's and O's flow that you see over the course of a contest? I think it's almost all technique because, as I mentioned, he's got the physical ability to make up for a mistake. But he also, you know, we had a defensive coordinator here that used to use the term DFO all the time. Don't freak out. And I think Tyler at times has done that when you let a guy, you know, he doesn't slide that left foot initially, you know, have a guy get his shoulder, and then rather than just make up for it athletically, he'd reach out and grab, much like we've heard corners, and that's what our defensive coordinator used to that, as he always told his corners, don't freak out, 
you know, let the, you know, make, let your, your athletic, athleticism make a play before you drag a guy down. And I think that was Tyler's biggest problem. He just didn't get that slept, that left foot slid quick enough, didn't quite have the technique. And then he reached out and grabbed. Now, this year later, if you watch, it didn't happen as much. It happened early in his career and it happened pretty early this year, multiple times. Then he got that straightened down and it didn't happen quite as often. So I, I think it all goes back to that 100%. Final question for me on Tyler, uh, Rick, would be about his mentality, uh, his willingness to learn and be coachable, and also his motor. Did you see enough intensity and consistency in his effort play-to-play? Absolutely. There's no question about that. Uh, He's absolutely willing to learn. He's coachable. He's a smart young man. You can't play Tulsa and not be, um, I mean, you know, not disparaging any other schools, but it's a little tougher at a place like this. So, yes, I think he absolutely can do that. Now, the one thing I think you do have to do with him is when he when he doesn't play well, you got to keep him from kind of turning that, well, gosh, coach, I'm not playing well and feeling bad about that and that kind of thing. you got to keep him focused on the grow part. But he is certainly able to do that. He's certainly smart enough to do that. I don't think that will be an issue at any point. So let's talk a little bit about the other guard, Chris Paul. Uh, big dude, 6'4", 324 pounds. At least that's what I see on paper. Those are always lies, right? I mean, they're usually bigger or smaller. Um, so tell us a little bit about Chris Paul. I know you had mentioned that there could be a possibility that he may uh, move inside to a guard. He certainly can play that. But give us a little bit of highlights on Chris and, and what you see in his future. Well, first of all, Chris is one of those guys who's a 1,000% technician. Not that he's not physically gifted, as I said. He nearly 330 pounds, and he ran a 4.89. I mean, come on, I can't drive 40 yards at 4.89. <laughs> and this, this cat you know, ran it at nearly 3.30. He is one of the most technical sound players. And, you know, Jeff, you know this about David. David was gifted physically, but David was a technician. Mm-hmm. And that's what Chris is really good at. Now, he will surprise you because when you see Chris, he's shaped more like me. Um, he's he's you know, kind of the Pillsbury Doughboy kind of thing. He's always had a bit of a belly on him. But don't do not let that fool you. Chris is athletic, as that four eight nine tells you. But he is just so doggone good technically, and he's also so tough. You know, Tyler's a tough kid too. But Chris just mentally can take that grind. You could put him in front of anything or anyone, and he would just continue banging his head on that thing, and he'd never get depressed. He'd never get down. He'd just continue on. He's one of the tougher mentally players. I think we've had here in an awful long time, which is one of the reasons I think you can see him in that guard position. He can take that constant battle and banging and all that kind of thing and continue to play well. Even as Chris played through injuries, and believe me, he had a lot of injuries too. You just never heard about it. I mean, he might complain about this or that a little bit here or there. We walked up the ramp against Cincinnati this year together after that game, and he was limping like I do at my age. And, you know, I said, you okay? Oh, yeah, I'll be fine. And you get him on the bus and you get him off the plane, you see him limping and then you see him in practice during the week, and he's still doing a little of that. Get him to game time, he's fine. He's a tough, tough mental kid, and he's a guy who doesn't let that slow him down very often. He plays through it. We're talking with Rick Corey, color analyst for Tulsa football on the Blitz 1170 as we're looking ahead to the 2022 NFL Draft. It seems as if the offensive line is a big theme, Rick, for this Tulsa class. Another name I want to throw out is Gerard Wheeler, who I believe has had some experience at center in both 2019 and 20. How would you compare him to Paul, and where do you see maybe his best position at the next level? I think he, if, if he's going to play, it's going to be at center. Uh, he, he's, he started there the last two years for us. He had the yips a little bit um, occasionally with snaps his early on in his career, and you'd see him sail over guys' heads. 
He got that figured out. Had a couple of those incidences this year, which really surprised us because we hadn't seen it in a couple of years. Uh, kind of fixed that. It wasn't a big deal anymore. Gerard's another one of those tough guys. And believe me, when I say tough guys, I mean if there's a bar fight, you want him. Or if the guy who brings a knife to a gunfight, you want it to be him. Uh, he's got that mentality. Not a dirty player, but he is never going to be anything but tougher than you in front of you. That's just his mentality. He's not terribly tall. He is nice and wide like you'd like a center to be. Uh, I think he's got a chance to play. I don't think there's any question about that. I think uh, he would not be an early-round guy, uh, and he would have to catch the right situation. But I think Gerard certainly would have a, play, a chance to play in the league just because of his overall toughness and that experience at the center, which is – not a place a lot of guys really necessarily want to hop into and play. One of the fellas who I was really curious about when I started looking over the Tulsa folks, Rick, was, was slot receiver Josh Johnson, who also has yep. experience returning on special teams, a very sought-after value, obviously, by NFL clubs. And I know he transferred out of, out of uh, Iowa State, and I know he didn't participate in stuff at the Combine because he had an injured ankle. Uh, is he one of those guys who's going to be uh, slept on, so to speak? He'll be under the radar to some people? I think if he uh, – yeah, I think he'll definitely be under the radar, there's no question. You know, he comes, as you mentioned, from Iowa State. Early on, made a bit of a splash. Um, he had one you know, kind of catastrophic drop this year that haunted him for part of the year. And Josh is a guy who takes that stuff hard. He had the, the ball against uh, – he's, he's catching a ball for a touchdown against Navy. Uh, that would have ended that game, really pretty much put Tulsa, and Tulsa eventually lost that game. And, it, and he kind of gathered it, and then it bounced off his hip up into the air, and Navy intercepted it. They came, uh, they brought it out of the end zone, and that was that was in the end zone. Came out of the end zone and actually made a drive with that one, and Tulsa lost the game. He has a hard time getting over things like that from time to time. Now, he's, he's another kid who's tough mentally, but you've got to keep Josh thinking positively and in the right direction physically. He's able to do certainly almost anything you'd want him to do it, at his size because he's not the biggest guy. You might want him to be a little bit faster, but, you know, I think back to what a Wes Welker did and Julius Edelman and guys like that. He is that kind of guy. He, uh, he caught 95% of what was thrown to him, but a couple of the drops turned into big, big drops at big, big moments. It's not his history. It's not what he does all the time. Well. Did we lose Rick? It sounds like we may have lost him. We'll see whether or not maybe we can get Rick back on the line. I know there was another wide receiver. Paul, you brought up one guy, but Keelan Stokes is another guy that has suited up for Tulsa who probably uh, has a much better chance of being selected and uh, could certainly make a name for himself. He's got pretty good hands. He's made some big catches. Doesn't have blazing speed, but I'd be curious to know Rick's perspective on that front. I don't know if there were a couple of other guys that caught your attention in terms of when you were reviewing the uh, Tulsa roster in terms of what may lie ahead here in the 2022 draft. Well, I think we got him back here, so Pearson's giving me the thumbs up. So why don't we go back to Rick. For some reason, I don't know why, we lost you in the middle of the Johnson uh, re recap. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's happens between New York and Tulsa. There are a lot of disconnects. <laughs> <laughs> the string and the cup sometimes fall apart, Rick. So Exactly. Yeah, yes. I, I trust me. Yeah, I, I got you. Uh, well, I, I, as I was saying, I just think Josh is the kind of guy you got to make sure that he's he's mentally in the right place when it, when you know when the bad things do happen or the drops happen and they're not often but they do occasionally. Unfortunately, here at Tulsa, some of them were very big plays, and you got to keep him out of the gutter because if you can, he's got the physical gifts it takes, and he definitely has the attitude it takes. 
He's the upper body strength. Again, you saw him bench at the combo and other guys or the combine and other guys didn't do that. Um, but you've got to make sure Josh is in the right mental space. If you do, I think he can certainly help someone. Do you see him as a returner in the NFL? Uh, well, that's a that's a tough question. Uh, if you're looking for a guy to just make the catch and not a lot of flashy hundred yarders, sure. Um, Josh doesn't generally have the kind of speed that's going to make you drop your jaw. Uh, can he run away from a few guys? Certainly he can. But he's not the kind of guy that's going to make you forget who the next guy is. And I'll give you an example. You know, the all-time leading um, total yards guy in the history of Tulsa, you know, returned punts for a while in the NFL, but not very long. And he's one of the you – know, Demaris was one of the most escapable dudes I've ever seen in my life. Josh doesn't have the same kind of escapability, some straight-line speed. He can make a guy or two miss, but he's sure-handed. So to be to be that guy that you are, you know, you're fairly certain isn't going to drop the ball, isn't going to drop the punt. Uh, then yeah, I can certainly see him doing that. And he, the other thing is, he doesn't mind sticking his head in. He will go down on a kickoff and whack a guy. It's not going to not going to bother him whether that guy is two twenty five or three twenty five. He'll go he'll go hit a guy. Mm-hmm. So I can see him doing a, a couple of different things. But as a returner, I can see him being a certain certainly a good option for a guy if you just want a solid person who doesn't make stupid mistakes. Well, the other wide receiver that I wanted to throw out, Rick, before we wrap up here is Keelan Stokes, who also actually has special teams experience. I believe he's up there in terms of top five in all-purpose yards for Tulsa. So clearly he's made a name for himself. Doesn't necessarily jump off the film in terms of really big-time blazing speed, but he's made consistent plays throughout the course of his career. What do you look at his upside at the next level? Well, I'm not – you know, I'm – He's one of the tougher kids you'll ever meet, but then his brother, Keevan Lucas, who played here, was that same guy. As a matter of fact, he wears the same number, and I swear to you, every time he runs out there, I want to call him his, by his brother's name because they are the same human. Um, it, he's got that very tough side, yeah, and he will not drop anything. I mean, you can literally sever the kid's head and he'll hold the ball. He's just one of those guys. It's, he's not a dropper. That, that's all there is to it. Again, if you're looking at a Julius Edelman-type situation or a Wes Welker, He's got that ability. He can separate out of cuts. He does have that kind of quickness. You mentioned the speed. Yeah, he's not like his brother there. His brother's a little faster. But he does get great separation out of cuts. He's another guy, you know, think of a guy who played here at Tulsa many years ago named Steve Largent, who didn't really physically impress anybody until he made the NFL Hall of Fame. And they realized, <laughs> yeah, that, that cat can play. Uh, he's a little he's a little bit like that. He's, he's tough-minded. He's absolutely great-handed. He's not going to drop it. I mean, I've seen him catch balls and get knocked out, and the, the ball's still in his hand. That's just who he is. Now, he did have some injuries at the end of his career. That's what kept him off the field late in his career to you. Um, uh, chance to make it? Absolutely. I Honestly, for him, I think he's an arena player. I think he'd be a fantastic arena football player, maybe a, you know, a Canadian guy. I, I, I don't know that he'll be an NFL guy but I do know that he's got the toughness to do that. But I'm going to tell you, there's one other receiver you haven't mentioned, and maybe you're going to bring him up, but you might want to take a look at Ezra Naylor. He's the Kansas transfer. He's six foot four inches tall. Very first catch he made for Tulsa was at Ohio State on about a six-yard out route, and then he proceeded to turn upfield and just truck the corner and the safety before they dragged him down from behind. Ezra didn't have a lot of highlight real plays here because he wasn't used quite that much, but that dude has a big upside too, physically and just with his size at six foot four. Didn't drop a single pass. Really good attitude, and I've never seen somebody. Well, I've seen a lot of guys here physically gifted at six four with the body he's got put together. I think he's got a real chance to surprise somebody. 
He is Rick Corey, color analyst for Tulsa football on the Blitz 1170, laying out who to look out for out of Tulsa, specifically on the offensive line and at the wide receiver position in the upcoming 2022 NFL Draft. Rick, can't thank you enough. We greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and please make sure you emphasize what a great guy Jeff Fiegels is yeah, to thank Dave you, Alexander. Rick. Yes. Checks in the mail, Rick. It's on its way. <laughs> yeah, I understand. David already paid me. You're good. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, that's good. If, if David paid you, then I'm fine. That's good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on with us today, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, All right. Fellas. You got it. Rick Corey with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Some great insight into the various players. Obviously, Tyler Smith is the guy to watch. We've talked about him several times, guys, on this program. And he was pretty much up front that there's upside, but it seems as if there's work to be done, specifically in terms of the technique for Tyler Smith, if he's going to be that consistent guy at the next level. I think it happens all the time, though. You know, it, it's it's very difficult to find these guys that are coming out of college, and they're, they're like, you know, they're... They're just seasoned, ready to, to there's a lot, this level, as you guys know, is so much more difficult to play. It's a different game. It's a totally different well, game. There's a reason position coaches have an existence. Exactly. Right? Yeah, 100%. And it's also, it, it, it's a reason why you see these coaches, they, it, it drives them crazy because you get these guys from college that they're going to, they're going to project to the next level. They get here and they just don't. And, you know, and they just kind of, you know, over time. And I, by the way, the Giants have had their share of projects. And so I think the last thing that teams want is a project that's going to hang around that never actually comes to fruition. So, um, but, you know, a guy like this who's got the size, Tyler Smith, 6'4", 325 pounds. Uh, and by the way, running a 4'8", that's impressive. Um, some of the intangibles you like to see. But I think, you know, not only is this guy... But I think when you look at the combine this year at these tackles and it just as a whole, just the athleticism and speed of all these players these days, it just it's amazing to me. And it just, you know, you go to Tulsa, which is they're in an American conference, right? You don't hear much about anybody there, but they got the players there, too. They just got to find them. Same thing with college basketball. You see guys come out of that conference, too, and sure. have lengthy NBA careers. So it's no different from that perspective. We are going to be turning our attention to Wisconsin in a little bit as we also look at the Badgers class. But why don't we try to maybe squeeze in a caller here before we it. turn our attention to Wisconsin. We got Mick in Myrtle Beach on the line, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mick? Hey, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my sure. call. I'd like to bring up a point, opening a little bit controversial, but uh, I'd like to give props to Charlie. I think he has a lot of color to your show, makes some good points. I know he could be off the wall sometimes. Well, that makes one person, but, but, so. But, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, of course, you are his younger brother, on, right? Yeah, of course. Well, he, or he's his agent in some capacity. I don't know what he's representing okay. him, but, hey, we finally found the one human being on the face of this earth that will spin it positively <laughs> for Charlie. So, Mick, congratulations, man. I didn't think anybody had that talent, but you apparently have answered you, you, the call. You might have wanted to take another day where you didn't have Lance on the line. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Well, that, that's, that's actually why I caught. Well, let me, let me tell you a couple points. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I know Charlie expressed his opinion on Daniel Jones' neck injury, and he went a little overboard. And, but I'm going to ask you a question. Have, has either of you uh, read Harry Carson's book, Captain for Life? Sure. Uh, Carson discussed his injuries, and he made one profound statement. He said, if any football player suffers any kind of neck injury, call it quits. It isn't worth the chance. And I think that's what Charlie was kind of getting at. Now, we all hope the best for Daniel Jones, but 
that brings me up to topic number two. I'm really glad that the Giants uh, went after Tyrod Taylor. You know, Charlie's been pressing for a quarterback that compete with Daniel Jones. I've been praying for Tyrod Taylor for three years. I think he's the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. When he started from the Bills from 2015 to 2018, he had 55 touchdowns and 16 INTs. He has great mobility. He could throw on a run. To me, he's Alex Smith times two, except he never had the fortune for playing for real good teams, even though he put a average Buffalo team in the playoffs a couple of years ago. I don't think enough has been said to build up Tyrod Taylor, and I hope he gives, and I like Daniel Jones, but I hope Tyrod Taylor gives him a run for his money. I'll be interested in your comments. Well, we'll let you go on that note. On previous shows, I think we've been very complimentary of Tyrod Taylor. Actually, Jeff, if you remember the show we did last week, we had speculated who they would go after Mm -hmm. as the backup quarterback. We all gave guesses. I had thrown out Tyrod Taylor. We talked about how valuable that was, and Paul and I on yesterday's program also talked about his experience, the fact that he's got a good touchdown-to-interception ratio. I don't think there's any doubt about it that he is somebody that could serve more than just as a security blanket for the Giants. And we'll expand upon that as we move forward. But right now, let's turn our attention to our second guest because we want to continue to preview the NFL draft. And a little bit later on in the program, we'll certainly address what the last caller brought up with respect to Tyrod Taylor's value. But it's now time to put Wisconsin under the microscope and to get into the Badgers 2022 draft class. We're now joined by Colton Bartholomew, Wisconsin State Journal. He comes the team for Colton. You got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino, Jeff Fiegels here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Everything's good over here. Actually, just had uh, our first son yet, or last week. So, very we'll nice. busy at the house, but it's all good. Yeah. Well, yes, congratulations. Don't fall asleep on us. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, we need the energy well, as we move well, forward Paul here will keep you <laughs> on Giants.com. Absolutely. Well, I want to start on the defensive side of the ball because probably the one Badger with the most hype, and deservedly so, is linebacker Leo Chanel, who had quite the 2021 campaign, Colton, logged over 500 snaps, very active, disruptive, AP All-America second team this past season. Where do you see his best fit as we try to calculate, well, he did this at the collegiate level, but can he actually duplicate that disruptiveness on the NFL level? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I think, you know, if you were able to jump in a time machine and put Leo Chanel back in, like, the 2000 draft, he's probably a top-10 pick. But the way that football has kind of evolved and the, what you want out of your linebackers in this day and age, I don't think he has a perfect fit right now uh, for what a lot of NFL teams are doing. I think what his eventual future is going to be is going to be a little bit more of a hybrid type of player. I think in an ideal world, he's your inside linebacker on first and second down in a 3-4, and then he can be a rush edge type of guy uh, on third down because when you look at his college snaps, he's done a lot in coverage. He knows how to you know cover guys and, and play pretty effectively in a zone. He's got the athleticism and the feel enough to, to be able to cover tight ends. But I just don't think that the ability to cover a tight end down the seam like you need to in the NFL or, you know, be able to jump out on a wide receiver down in the flat if that was what he was asked to do is really what his strength is going to be. So I think he's going to be a little bit more of a hybrid type of guy. But when you just look at the raw athleticism and just the physical tools, some team is going to say, hey, we're going to figure out the rest of it, but we're just going to take this freak athlete because – you know, he had like a 99 raw athleticism score at the combine. He ran like a four, 
four six, I think it was four six three or something right around there. Uh, just a guy that's got all types of athleticism and, and speed and things that you want, and just a ton of raw physical talent that you can mold uh, into your system, whatever you want to do with them. Well, you know, Colton, that brings up a very interesting question, though, because whenever I hear somebody just gush over the guy's athleticism and his combine scores, then the first question that I always have to ask is, what is he about as a football player? I want to know about his instincts. I want to know about his motor. I want to know about his toughness, his smarts and ability to read the the play. That kind of stuff a lot of times gets pushed to the wayside when you hear about how this guy is basically Superman. No, it's a fair point. And I think with Chanel, when you watch his tape, you see the tenacity, you see the just the loving, like the, the pure love of contact and loving hitting people, which sometimes I feel like we forget because we want to quantify everything. But there's a little bit of a caveman aspect to playing linebacker. You've got to go want to put people into the ground. And that's what Leo Chanel has done for three years for Wisconsin. Even when he was a freshman, I think that's something that maybe gets overlooked at times too. Like he was got on the field for a very good defense in the 2019 season uh, with guys like Jack Sanborn, who's also in this draft and Chris Orr, who was, uh, you know, uh, all big 10, all American level type of player his senior year. He was still in the rotation and making plays when those guys needed a break. So I think from the second he got on the college field, he's been able to make an impact. And I think the thing that he showed this season over the pre- previous seasons was his ability to diagnose what the play was was in front of him and then attack it even faster than he was as a sophomore. You look at, let's say, the Army game. Obviously, it's a totally different system when you're playing a triple option, but they were basically putting him over the center and making him blow up plays because he would just jump the snap count or read what the play was and knife through the line against the offensive line that's whole goal is no penetration and get out to the edge. So I think he's got the intangible things that you need. Uh, I think he just needs a little bit more seasoning in terms of pass protect or pass coverage because I think what Jim Leonard here at Wisconsin saw was this guy can't be stopped on up the middle blitzes. I don't want to take him off of those just because I want to give him more reps in the pass protection. So uh, I think he's going to be a, a guy that you draft probably in that second, maybe early third round if he slips a little bit. And then you're like, wow, I can't believe we didn't have to p- spend a first round pick on him. Colton, it seems to me like, you know, he's obviously his his spot is an inside linebacker. And there's a lot. It reminds me a lot of Bart Scott, if you remember him, Um, a Mm -hmm. guy who's, you know, good on first and second downs. Um, Let me ask you this about him. I know he takes on blockers because of his size. Um, What's what's his durability like? Has he has he missed some games because of injuries? Is he a guy that's, uh, you know, obviously, if you play middle linebacker, you're a tough dude. But as far as uh, being on the field and his availability, how is that going his career? Yeah, the only time he's ever missed a, a game was because of uh, COVID at the start of this year. So okay. physically, he's, and I know he's played through a lot of things. He, he had a little bit of a shoulder issue that held him out of a couple of series. Uh, I believe that was the Rutgers game this year uh, for Wisconsin. But just durability-wise, he, he's played through a ton, and he's shown the ability to just consistently be out there and really never let his play dip regardless of what he's going through. So I think that's something that is going to really help his his stock when guys when teams really start digging into him because he's just been and I think you guys mentioned earlier like every snap outside of you know huge blowouts for Wisconsin he was out there 
and a very active player to boot, which certainly bodes well, assuming that he could stay healthy and durable at the next level. You brought up, Colton, also Jack Sanborn, their other linebacker. Not to say that they're identical, but if you were to compare him to Chanel, what's the major differences? What perhaps does Sanborn provide that Chanel doesn't, in your estimation? Sure. I think the biggest difference is that where Chanel has that quick just – See what's in, see what's going on in front of you, and be able to attack it with you know a moment's notice. Sanborn is a guy that is able to diagnose things and kind of slow plays it. Like I think he's going to be a really good weak side of the ball inside linebacker, probably in the three four system as well. I could see him being a four three middle linebacker potentially. I don't know if he's got the speed to be able to cover that much ground, but I think he's just going to be that guy that racks up tackles for you throughout an entire season. You mentioned the durability earlier. He's been out there every single snap pretty much for the Badgers for the last three seasons, Um, a team captain as well. So just a guy that has been calling plays, knows how to run a defense from that middle linebacker spot. And I think the thing that he has a little bit more advanced than Chanel at this point is just his recognition of plays. And he didn't have a ton of, you know, pass breakups or interceptions or anything like that. But when you look at, what he did as a you know, pass defender, just being in the right spots, being in zones to take receivers away and take tight ends away. And then when they did try to throw to him, make it so the pass had to be really high and goes to a pick to a safety or has to be behind the, the tight end and the, the guy's trying to make a crazy catch on it. Just know, knew where to be and maybe didn't always make a huge play on the ball, but was just constantly in the right spot and making it tough on the quarterback and receiver to, to make a completion over the middle of the field so I think that's probably where he's a little bit more advanced than Chanel at this point and I think he's just going to be like I don't know if he's quite the athlete but a guy like Chris Borland out of Wisconsin was a few years ago but I think he's got that same level of understanding of the defense knowing how to make tackles and just knowing where to be and just to to disrupt an offense maybe not to the same like highlight level as Chanel but just same effectiveness you know, the funny part here, Colton, is I was reviewing the uh, the Wisconsin prospects. It seems to me they just have an absolute shelf full of third-day prospects. And, you know, Leo may wind up being a second-day guy. But otherwise, that third day is going to be loaded with telephone calls for Badgers. And there's a guy who I particularly like, and I know that a lot of people don't think he's going to be higher than maybe fourth or fifth round, but tight end Jake Ferguson is a traditional tight end who does a little bit of everything well. And I, I absolutely think this guy, if he gets to the right team, is going to have a terrific NFL career. What can you tell me about what you see there? Yeah, I think you're – I'm totally in agreement with you because I think what got overlooked – and you kind of mentioned earlier, everybody wants to talk about the physical stuff and the testing. I don't think he had a very good combine, and he said it at Wisconsin's Pro Day, like – I'm ready to play football. This track and field stuff is just not for me. The the running and sprinting, all that type of the the three cone drill, all that type of stuff, just wasn't his strength. And I think the thing that he's going to excel at is he knows how to get open against zone, and he knows how to sit down in the right spots. And yeah, he's not going to blow you away with his speed, or you know, when he gets gets to the open field, he's not going to run away from a cornerback or a safety or anything. But he's going to be that tight end that you throw to every third down because he's going to catch the ball and he's going to get open. He's going to be that reliable receiver over the middle of the field that takes big hits and is able to hold on to the ball. And I think that's something that was 
a pretty remarkable thing throughout his college career. He played almost every snap for the last three seasons because Wisconsin's had such injury and just depth issues at tight end that he's been out there almost every play they've run at tight end, which is every play for the Wisconsin offense. And he was that guy, like I mentioned, on third down that the quarterbacks here trusted to make those plays. So I think he's going to have a really productive career, and I think he's going to slip a little bit because of that. The, the testing didn't quite go his way. But I think that whichever team gets him in that fourth, fifth round type of area is going to have a reliable pass catcher for 10 years and a guy that gives a ton of effort in the run and pass blocking game. Like, I'm not saying that he's a great pass or run blocker, but he's going to try. And at that position at times, that's a, a big bonus because I don't think there are a lot of tight ends that are willing to put their nose in there like a guy like Ferguson is. Yeah, I, I see him as a scrapper, Colton, and that's why I like him so sure. much. You know, he's one of those guys who's not afraid to get his hands dirty. It may not always be pretty, but he'll do everything he can to get the job done. Yeah, I think that's a great assessment. I think what you've seen from him, you, you go, go back and look, some of the great edge rushers that he's had to go against here in the Big Ten, guys like Chase Young and you know Arnold Abike from uh, uh, Penn State this year, just a ton of guys that he, I'm not saying he had great success against, but he was trying and he was battling every second that he was out there, so... I think you're right that he's just that guy that's going to give maximum effort, and at a certain point, like that's what you need from that probably a second tight end type of role where he's just going to be an effective guy for you, whichever role you ask him to be in. We're talking with Colton Bartholomew, who covers the Wisconsin Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal as we look ahead to the 2022 NFL Draft. Colton, as Paul mentioned, you're probably looking at a number of late rounders as we go through the remaining prospects. They do have two offensive linemen, and let's face it, Wisconsin's got a pretty good track record in producing some offensive linemen who have carved out some nice NFL careers. So Logan Bruss, Josh Seltzner, two interior offensive linemen. What have you seen out of them, and what type of roles can they carve out? Obviously, there's some questions about their blocking and their ability to handle some of those quick speedsters off the edge, but how much upside do you think they may have on the NFL level, especially competing maybe for a backup position in the early stages of their career? Yeah, I think Logan Bruss is going to be a stellar guard, and I think what happened was Wisconsin just didn't have the tackles in the last few years that they're used to having, and some some of their really high-rated recruits didn't develop quick enough uh, to let him play inside, where I think he's going to be just spectacular in the NFL. I honestly think if you were going to list out, you know, I think Chanel's probably at the highest upside just because of the athleticism and everything we mentioned before, but in terms of who's going to have the longest, most productive career, I think Logan Bruss would be my pick from this class because the way that he can handle the interior run game and move bodies, you know, he's a big guy, obviously, you're talking about an offensive lineman, but just the, the strength he has in his hands and in his upper body to move guys really is hard to show that on the edge when you're talking about battling all these speed guys off the edge. But when you get him inside and he's against three and four techniques, he's going to be able to show that he's got the – quickness that he needs to get up to the second level and then when you get him inside and he doesn't have to worry about the speed rushes from these outside linebacker types and he's really just focusing on making that anchor foot planted you know keeping the pocket set for a quarterback that's where he's going to excel as a pass uh, protector so I think Logan Bruss is a guy that's going to have a tremendous NFL career and I I think he's going to be one of those guys that you're surprised you were able to get in that fourth fifth round range or maybe even a little bit later depending on what medical said at the, the combine and then Josh Seltzer is a guy who really he started as a walk-on at Wisconsin. They've got this really good walk-on tradition, especially with in-state linemen, which is what Seltzer is. And 
he he had this career where he would fill in here and there when guys got hurt, and he would always be pretty good. But then he really reshaped his body coming into this season over the summer, got himself down around 300 pounds where he was about 330 before. And he said that that losing that weight made him a lot quicker, made him be able to get into guys faster. And when he was able to get that first step down on the ground faster, sets up the block better, just is able to do all the rest of his technique because he got that first step down quicker. And you really saw the, the impact that he had in all-American season from the AP, um, one of the best guards in college football according to pro football focus so i think he's a guy that you're going to probably have to pick up in that six seventh maybe undrafted free agent type of class but then he's going to compete for a backup job for a long time because he's smart knows how to get under uh interior defensive linemen and, and use his leverage and his size to to move them around and i think he's just a maximum effort type of guy just never stops on a play and even when he's beat, there were a few times that guys would beat him around the edge, but he just kept going with the play and was able to push him past the pocket. And that's something that you're trying to look for at this point when you know offensive linemen are at a lot of disadvantages in terms of speed and quickness. But if they get that effort and are able to you know make up for it if they do get beat early in a play, that's what you like to see. He is Colton Bartholomew, who covers the Wisconsin Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal as we look ahead to the 2022 NFL Draft. Colton, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and best of luck navigating Hello? the new member of your family. Yeah, thank you, Colton. Thank you. <laughs> I think All right. gone. Colton Bartholomew with us here on a Big Blue Kickoff Live. <laughs> As he broke down the Badgers earlier, in case you're just joining us, we were talking about Tulsa. You can check out the archive of the show on Giants.com as well as the mobile app when it's put up later today. So pretty good start, gentlemen, in terms of putting the key in the ignition as we inch closer Mm -hmm. to the start of the NFL draft. Tomorrow the plan is we're going to cover Western Michigan and Central Michigan. So it's going to be quite the journey here moving forward. Well, you know, it's funny. We've been doing this now for, I want to say, what is it, at least seven or eight years on this program where we have done the countdown to the draft yep. and, and done at least one or two schools, sometimes even three schools on a given day, depending upon if How they only people? have one yeah. draftable guy. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think it's probably one of the more fun things that we do. Well, yeah, you get a really a, an in-depth look at somebody that's been covering these guys for years when you think about well, see, it. We're, and what I tell people all the time, and folks, if you're listening on the on the uh, app right now or listening on the Internet, or for that matter, if you listen on the archive to the pod, what I try to tell people is, listen, we're not going to be pretentious. And, you know, we can look at some tape. There's no doubt. We can look at video. We can give you some impressions. But we try to get the best quality guests from each of these schools' areas on because they've lived it. Mm-hmm. They've seen these mm-hmm. guys on a day-to-day basis. They've watched them in games. They've watched them at practice every day. I, I you know, we're very selective in who we bring on this program, and, and I, and I truly hope that you guys uh, can appreciate some of what these folks are bringing you because they're the guys on the ground. They're there. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not some local newspaper guy who's just giving you some stupid mock draft because we saw a bunch of names on the internet somewhere. We're trying to give you guys as much of an eyewitness account from the people who are at those practice sessions and at those games. And so I can't tell you, Lance, how much I appreciate all the years of cooperation that we've gotten from people around the NCAA ranks who have allowed us to tap in to what they've got 
so that we can have a better educated opinion about some of these players coming into the draft. Absolutely, especially since also some of these reporters are very close with the players and their families because yeah. they've been covering them right yep. since they were recruiting yep. at the college level. Yep. So that's more of a reason why you want to gain their perspective and hear from them. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito, Jeff Eagles with you here. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll try to squeeze in a caller or two before we wrap up. But, guys, I want to go back to the caller we had in between both interviews because I want to give you guys an opportunity to also weigh in on Tyrod Taylor, which was the whole point of the call. And the one thing I just want to say is, and I emphasized it yesterday, I'll say it again, is Tyrod to me is appealing because he also is a mobile quarterback Mm -hmm. who I think could run the offense the way Daniel Jones does in the event Daniel gets hurt. And it's very important, Jeff, you and I have had these conversations. I brought up the Ravens, right? When Lamar Jackson got hurt, Mm -hmm. Tyler Huntley came in. I think it's very important not only to have a reliable backup with experience, but also somebody that fits the profile as close as possible to the starter so the coordinator doesn't have to completely revamp the scheme because he's going from perhaps a mobile guy to a statue, I don't think you're going to have to worry about that with Taylor. Well, I think the other thing you want to keep in mind is that both of these quarterbacks are going to get a lot of tutelage from Davis Webb, who spent the last two years in Buffalo. And I was talking to Matt Breida yesterday, and Matt was telling me how impressed they all were in Buffalo at the acumen of Davis Webb. Now, remember, we knew when the Giants drafted him some years ago, his dad was a football coach. Mm -hmm. And his smarts were always one of the things that people like to talk about. And Dable and Shane made no hesitation about bringing Davis Webb down here. So I think as the third quarterback, he is going to be, at the very least, a tutor to yeah. these other two guys in the room to make sure that they get coached up and they are on the same page. And I, and from what I'm hearing uh, you know, from, from the other Bills, and, and, and Breed is not the only one that I talked to, uh, Webb is is he's going to wind up being a coach somewhere at some point during his career. Well, what what happens, you know, from a player's perspective, is that the coaches are only around so much, right? I mean, so the guys spend a lot of time together, and so the quarterbacks, the kickers, the punters, the linemen, you know, they're all in their groups. So as things are being indoctrinated into this system, Davis Webb has been a part of it, so he's going to be an encyclopedia of knowledge for these guys. Then you, then you throw in Tyrod Taylor, who has a, a wealth of knowledge as far as experience, being a starter in this National Football League. And then you have Daniel Jones, who, by the way, also has been a starter in this league, but he's learning a new system. So I think collectively, you have built a nice, nice quarterback room there where you think these guys are going to get along. Now, I asked you before we came on the air that you had had, um, had an opportunity to interview Tyrod Taylor last week when he signed here. Um, about his acumen for the game and just the way he is. And he's going to be a guy that I think understands a little bit that what his position is going he's to be He's a pro. Here. Yeah, he's a pro's pro, as we call it, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now you've got a nice cohesiveness in that quarterback room, and they're always talking. And these guys become friends. They really do. Now, Davis Webb is a smart guy. He's going to obviously has a little bit of uh, competitiveness in him, and he wants to be a starter in this league one day. But, you know, a lot of times these guys don't make it to that level. But they, they do end up playing years in the National Football League because there's a need. you got to have a second team, and you got to have a third-team guy. So I think it's a great move, and I think that the caller was spot on. And we, Lance, you and I have talked in depth about this backup quarterback position going back to last season when we were yep. we had our hands over our eyes when things were happening in the games <laughs> because of the backup quarterback position. I think the Giants did themselves a huge favor by going out and getting the guy they did. 
I'm with you. I think this is a notable upgrade, and it was something that Joe Shane was preaching when he took over as general manager. To Paul's point, to me, the best example I could give you to what he's saying about Davis Webb is, if you guys recall, when Jason Garrett came in as the offensive coordinator, they briefly had Cooper Rush initially right in the quarterback room, and then mm-hmm. Clayton Thorson came along. Well, why do I bring up both of those names? They both were in the Cowboys' offense, so when Daniel Jones and Mike Glennon were in the room, they could at least provide some assistance because they had familiarity with the scheme. I'm not saying these guys were here for a very long time, especially Cooper Rush. He wasn't here as long as Clayton Thorson, who was on the practice squad, but that to me is very similar in terms of what Davis Webb can apply because he's been embedded in that Bills offensive yeah. scheme. And you know what, Lance? Let's give credit to, to the front office and also Tyrod Taylor because he came in at a cap number of 2.7 this season. And we had discussed throughout the course of these shows, the Giants were not going to be able to go more than three. Three million on the cap charge this year. That was the number. Mm-hmm. Let's not kid ourselves. That was the number. They could not do anything more than that to get that slot filled. And because of the way the deal is constructed, and it's a brilliant deal, it has three levels in it. Um, and and because that it does... Uh, they were able to squeeze him in at a number that made sense for them and made him affordable. Of course, he had to agree to be affordable, too, which, as you love to say, Lance, it does take two to make a deal. No, absolutely. And the other thing is, and we talked about this, not just with Tyrod Taylor, other quarterbacks, not to wish that Daniel Jones is going to get hurt. You never want that to happen. But the fact that he does have a track record of not being able to play an entire season. Guys, if I'm a backup quarterback and I'm Tyrod Taylor and I may be looking for a spot where there's maybe a slight opportunity to get in if the starter can't get through a whole season, the Giants are somewhat attractive from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And if you remember when he met with the media, he was asked about, well, why the Giants did you envision an opportunity to start? And He said the same thing. You know, you're never wishing for somebody to get hurt in front of you. You don't have a crystal ball, which is all understandable. But, I mean, let's not be naive. I'm sure when he was evaluating his options, you're looking, guys, at who's in front of you on the depth chart. And if you're playing right behind Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers, you're probably saying to yourself, there's a very good chance I'm going to be holding a clipboard for the entire season. Which isn't a bad job sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and I know it too, Lance. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, you know the other thing too about the backup position, and especially in this situation where you know we can we can talk collectively about the future of Daniel Jones, and we're going to know it sooner or later. I think the first, the next step is when when May comes around, and that's when the extension has to be um, activated or not. So that will be the next step. But the but it, when you look at this long term, if if for some reason and this doesn't work out for Daniel Jones, then the Giants, as Paul had mentioned, they structured a deal for him that he'll still be around here next season. And regardless of what happens, whether Daniel Jones is not here or he is here, Tyrod Taylor will be here. And whether he'll be the starter next year if Daniel Jones isn't here, most likely that's probably what would happen. And if the Giants go and want to try to go and find a, a quarterback in the draft in 2023, well, then they are set themselves up for a perfect situation where most teams like to do it with their rookie quarterbacks anyways. They've got a veteran guy in place. 
as a stop, right? And then all of a sudden, when they're ready, the young guy takes over. And I'm sure that that might have been discussed with Tyrod Taylor because I think that there's a lot going forward that this guy has an opportunity to play. One, for the reason that you said, Lance, is the injury prone that he is. And, and if, he, if he makes it through, we hope he does. But if he doesn't, then you got to experience backup and then also the future going forward next year and beyond. I think it, it could, makes total sense. Could be that bridge guy, Jeff, I think. Bridge, is what that's what I was looking to. for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Between so, two generations of quarterbacks. 100%. And I think that, you know, you look at around the league, there's exceptions to the rule. But for the most part, these young guys, they're even though they're first round draft picks. And I think that there's such a, a learning curve when you get to the National Football League for guys. Uh, to come in and start right away and have and have success. I think that the Giants, when you look long term in the next three years, they're going to build a program here that in that third year from now is going to be the year that they're going to expect things to really elevate and they're going to compete for a championship. And that's just my opinion. It could happen next year. It could happen. And the other thing is I talked about earlier, too. Let's just say for some reason that the Giants and man, will we all be happy about this? all of a sudden put it together and start winning football games and Daniel Jones gets hurt. And now you're in a com competition for maybe the NFC East and you've got a quality backup quarterback that you can count on that can go out and win you some football games. That, to me, makes a huge difference. Yeah, especially since the races more often than not are pretty tight in this division. God, you only it's know. very I mean, rare. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Who knows about away. this division? Sure, this one. no. You know, 100%. by the way, you know how many times... You know, every other every year, somebody's differently winning this division, you know, so you never know what could happen. Well, to Tyrod Taylor's point, if you have a crystal ball, it's not telling you who's going to win the NFC East. I will tell you that <laughs> based yeah. on the track record here. Yeah. Giants fans, you can secure your season tickets for the 2022 season today for only $100. Limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. All right, before we wrap up shop, let's reopen up the phone lines. Chris is in Rochester joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Chris? Hey, hey, guys. How's it going? Hi. Hi. Jeff, All right, Chris. Jeff, Jeff inside the 10 Seagulls. That's it. Inside the 10. Thank you. I'm yeah. glad you didn't say 20. I like the 10. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were like an extension of our defense, man. You Thank were you. you were legit, Seagulls. Loved you, man. <laughs> But well, I, I love was the telling my my my, uh, my bold prediction didn't work out too well, did it? I I, I predicted Andrew Thomas and Matt Hurt both make the Pro Bowl. And did you guys see Von Miller blow blow right by him like he didn't even get out of his stand? You remember that this year, game one, he well, didn't even move. Well, we're going to give you a little bit of a outside. pass on this because neither one of their careers are finished yet. And maybe at some point yeah. in time, I think Thomas certainly has a better chance than Parrott does. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't oh, yeah. think it's a stretch to think that Andrew Thomas at some point could be a Pro Bowl tackle. Remember, it's just yeah, tough played, because of the competition on the here. NFC side. That's the biggest stumbling mm -hmm. block. And uh, the, other, the other thing that I wanted to mention was uh, I've been listening to the to the program here, um, and Lance seems to get fired up when people want to talk about trading the seventh pick or the fifth pick. I don't think that we should trade the fifth pick. I mean, I love Equan, Equano. I don't think he's going to be there, but if we get Equano or Neil, take him at five. If not, man, we target the Jets or the Eagles. Get the 35-38, because then you still got Jones, that kid from Connecticut, that defensive tackle. There's Boye Mafe, there's a ton of them. Darius Kennard, we got lots of uh, tackles. That Sayer kid from Georgia, they say he's a tackle. He's like 345-pound run-blocking monster. 
if we can transfer, you know, one of those guys to guard, get him in the 50. So if we pick at five and trade back with seven, or I just think we should target the Jets and the Eagles. Get some of those picks. Well, why are we targeting the Jets and the Eagles? Yeah, they, you got to target teams that want quarterbacks. That's worth this. That they're just yeah. going to move up. It's going to be right. somebody looking. Well, for and that's why I don't understand Jeff to that point. Why you would target the Jets and the Eagles? Because I don't really see them making an aggressive move for a quarterback of all teams. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's. <laughs> I've been doing the mock freaking mock simulations too much. Those things. Well, are yeah, that's the problem. You know, the computer gets to the brain a little too much. That's the issue, Chris. So, so we're looking at the so we're looking at the Steelers, possibly the Saints at eighteen to come up, and if we can get at least one or more, you know, one or two picks in the second round, I am not against drafting Sam Howell to sit on the back behind behind Tyrod, which is an awesome signing. You know, it, but only if we get multiple second-round picks. You just totally drove off the freeway right there. <laughs> just so you know, you you just totally, I mean, you popped two wheels, two tires, and went totally off the freeway. Now, I will tell you this, and Lance and I are both in agreement that you got to keep the five, and you don't trade the seven unless it's a godfather offer. Jeff feels otherwise. But here's what I will say. Peter King just wrote, I believe, in yesterday's column that it's his growing feeling the Giants will deal one of those picks with the primary reason, and it's something that John Schmelk has alluded to, to get a first-rounder next year so that they have two first-rounders in 2023, and this would provide them some protection to draft a franchise quarterback if Daniel Jones should go bad. You're putting uh, that on Schmelk? What, I think that was what was what uh, we were saying before that. Oh, I don't think anybody I, agrees with John on anything, but that's that's beside the point. Well, no, I'm, we I'm goofing, I'm goofing off. I'm goofing off. Yeah, that was one of the things that came but, up. But, but John, keep in mind, Paul, no, I didn't yeah. need to cut you off. I just want to clarify that. If they are to get a first-round pick, you have to move down, though, significantly to justify no doubt. a team giving you the first-round pick. No keep doubt. that in mind. Yeah. No doubt. I, and, and look, you and I are not leaning that way, but there is a train of thought that does believe that. Mm-hmm. And Peter King put out yesterday, he's getting a, 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 a growing feel that the purpose of making a deal. Look, there are some people who want the Giants to trade down to get more picks this year because yeah. they hear that there are so many sure. You know things going on. Either way, you're going to be in okay. rounds two to four. Mm-hmm. That oh, it's the sweet spot. Let's get more picks this year. Well, that's one line of thought. The other line goes along what John has said and what Peter is saying. Go get the first rounder next year so that you've got that capital in case Jones falls on his face. Um, you know what? I, I get it. It's just a matter of which which road do you want to take. I think there's logic in all of these theories. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's wrong. Let me make that very clear. I know people like to think that I'm always argumentative. Well, nobody's wrong until it happens. I, well, no, <laughs> no, they're, they're, not even then. No, there's you rationale behind all there's of that. All, yeah. There's logic behind yeah. all of these Absolutely. things, which means nobody is wrong. Right. Okay. Nobody is that. wrong. Yeah. Down the road, we'll find out which result may have been the most effective but that the, sure. there's logic behind mm-hmm. each of these things. Yeah. By the note, uh, by the way, quick side note: Could theoretically Daniel Jones and Sam Howell survive in the same quarterback room 
when you have Duke in <laughs> North Carolina. Has anyone, has the last caller given any thought to that? I mean, you know, I know that may not well, no, be the most important thing. He drove off the road. Thing. He's barely alive. So <laughs> let, me, to... let me make it so, though very clear to yeah. you, Lance. I uh, guarantee you that Daniel Jones would drive the lane and slam it home. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got Coach K in his corner yeah, in the yeah. Duke track record. So, you know, North Carolina, though, keep in mind, still doing damage in the tournament as well. So mm-hmm. we'll see whether or not. What a great uh, win the other day. Yeah, absolutely. A very impressive win over Baylor. No doubt about it. Ousted the number one we mentioned about Miami being in the 16th. Well, we have not, not, but oh. the show can't wrap up unless the Hurricanes are mentioned <laughs> That's right. That's in some right. capacity. Just saying. Yes. Just saying. That's no, Jim Laranega right. deserves a yeah. tip of the cap, yeah. a very nice, pleasant double oh, digit seat. Oh, and by the way, I, I think we must mention the Cinderella of the tournament. Saint I Peter's. mean, our back, that's right, our the back, you know, our backyard here. Yep. So that's, shout out that's, Jersey City. That is just uh, a lot of fun, and I know that Lance and you, and especially uh, John, you guys are big basketball guys. Uh, I think, Paul, you are, too. I am not. The only time I ever watch basketball is now. <laughs> well, when Miami's relevant. That's when, when relevant. you choose to watch basketball. So. <laughs> no. How convenient. That Jeff. is not yes. true, Lance. I, I, I get into the tournament a little bit, but uh, it is nice to see when you know Miami is in the tournament. It just makes everything just so much better, right? I mean, you don't see those bright uniforms. They wore their black uniforms. Well, it's good night. since your football team has been horrible. For yeah, well, days. they're going. They're coming well, see, on. That's another reason. They're coming yes. on, too. So. Let's get out of here, Lance. Talk about, right, get, talking about driving off the freeway. We just. Yes, did it. Absolutely. All right, that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again on Wednesday at noon Eastern. We'll preview two more schools as we look ahead to the draft. Appreciate everybody listening. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere, giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.